You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello and welcome to The Investor Way with myself, John McEwen, and my co-host, Sam Ball. This week on The Investor Way, we have Weatherspoons, Diageo, Britvic, Fevertree, Doc Martens, and our US company of the week is Microsoft. Sam, shall we kick off with Weatherspoons? Yeah, let's kick off with Spoons. So Spoons have come out with their half-year results, and first half total sales fell 13.3%, with like-for-like sales dropping 11.7%. Restrictions impacted second quarter trading, and total and like-for-like sales were down 166 and 15.6% respectively. The group's expecting to post a loss for the first half of the year. Tim Martin, CEO, said he hopes with the ending of restrictions, improved customer confidence and better weather, it will have a much stronger performance in the second half. The shares fell 2% on the announcement. We go in a bit more detail. Like for like sales in the first 15 weeks of the year were 8.9% lower than in 2019 as bar food and fruit and slot machine sales all declined. And this was partially offset by an 11.5% increase in hotel sales and these figures are compared to 2019 sales although the group had some supply chain issues they've eased in recent weeks and the group's overall stocking levels have been in line with recent years Weatherspoons also reported no widespread issues with recruitment chairman tim martin said whereas we have an increased element of caution about near-term sales boost of vaccinations and better weather in the spring are likely to have a positive impact in the coming months the group's seen drinks like cocktails and spirits, typically consumed by younger customers, rise considerably, while those popular among older customers like draft products were under pressure. Working from home, trends have weighed on food volumes with breakfast and coffee sales down 22 and 30% respectively. Sales at the group's Lloyd's pubs, which offer music, have seen a 0.5% uptick, likely reflecting a higher percentage of younger customers. Trade at locations with larger cities and towns has improved for the most part, while sales in the suburbs declined, through central London sales declined 17.4%. Sales at airports and train stations declined 38.8% and 22.4% respectively. In terms of the valuation, it's trading at a PE ratio of 20.4, and that compares to a 10-year average of 19.1, and the prospective dividend yield over the next 12 months is 1%. However, that PE ratio well, that forward PE ratio is still going to be on depressed earnings. If you were to take the view that, well, within a few years, you think they are going to get back to normal 2019 levels. If you were to take the 2019 earnings and use that to work out a normalised PE ratio, you'd instead get a much lower figure of 11.7 for the adjusted earnings per share and 13.1 for the diluted. My view is at the current PE it's quite pricey. If you think it will recover, it's a bit fairer. But how long it'll take to recover, for me, I, I just think you could probably do better elsewhere. What do you think of this trading statement and the valuation, John? Yeah, I think it's interesting you mentioned the normalised earnings. I think, yeah, when you look at it on the normalised earnings, it's just a business that I'd be confident would, you know, th- there is a recovery story there and it would get back and probably go beyond 2019. But... I think there probably are better companies out there. 
rather than waiting around for this to happen? And what would you get back to? I don't know how much growth there really is in Weatherspoons. And I suppose in the meantime as well, you do have those inflationary pressures, particularly with the staffing, what was on already sort of quite thin margins. So I think they will have a, a difficult time even when they, we do get back to normal, you know, fully. Uh, so I probably wouldn't be buying shares. They did say that, that they're not having issues recruiting at the moment. And that did surprise me because I can't imagine mm. the pay is particularly great. Okay. I mean, fair enough. It's just, I suppose it's something I'd anticipate, but yeah, maybe they, maybe they don't have, it's not affecting them too much. I agree as well with the saturation. I don't, I mean, certainly in the UK, it does feel like they're on every single street. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, don't really, you don't really look at an area and think, you know what, this needs another spoons, but. No, and yeah. one of the reasons you go to Spoons is because of the price points. I think you expect, you know, very fair or I suppose cheap prices. Yeah, um, for what it's worth, I, I think in the in the half I did my bit to try and help, but not enough people do. <laughs> yeah. They're the ones with the, the CEO, what's he called? Tim Martin. Uh, Tim Martin, he's been quite outspoken in the past. I was a bit disappointed when I read this because sometimes he's got some funny comments on like what he thinks of like government policy and stuff like that. It was a bit more restrained with this, so that was disappointing. Yeah, no, I don't. Sometimes in the past, he's been like calling government policy like stupid, and so, like he's been really outspoken. Yeah, he's, 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 he, yeah, he's, he's outspoken. <laughs> I think it's probably still the best of the pubs, though. If you were to buy a pub, yeah, um, I, I'd be yeah, interested. I'd buy, buy Weatherspoons. I would be interested to see if their market share has gone up as a result of COVID, because they were mm. very well placed to weather yeah. the storm, whereas a lot of other pubs won't have been. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe that's not factored into the share price. Maybe yeah, maybe in like ten years' time it'll just be spoons. There'll be no yeah, other pubs because yeah, they all went bust. Well, you can go to spoons or you can go to Lloyd's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Can we move on to uh, yeah, one of the and that, yeah, that's right. So Diageo, um, they had their half-year results out this week with net sales for the first half coming in at £8 billion, with organic growth of twenty percent, with double-digit growth in all regions. Operating profits rose 24.7% organically to £2.7 billion in an increased efficiency offsetting any of the rising costs. The North American division, which accounts for 37% of the group's revenue, saw net sales rise 13% to £3 billion, driven for the most part by on-trade sales, whilst the supermarket sales remained resilient. Tequila did particularly well, whilst there were small declines in whiskey and Baileys. Increased marketing spend and cost inflation put operating margins under pressure, but better than expected sales of the super premium plus products and price increases resulted in reporting operating profits rising 6% to £613 million. In Europe, which accounts for 22% of revenue, sales were up 27% to £1.8 billion. And again, on-trade sales were strong, most notably with a 44% increase in beer sales. The group also increased market share in the supermarkets. Inflation was offset by cost savings and more higher margin sales, leading to operating profits rising 43% to £613 million. In Asia-Pacific, which accounts for 19% of group revenue, net sales were up 13%, coming in at £1.5 billion. There was strong growth in the Chinese spirit market and super premium Scotch whisky in Greater China. Meanwhile, India saw a strong recovery in on-trade sales. Again, premium brands helped offset high marketing spend and inflationary pressures. 
operating profits grew 17% to £451 million. In Africa, which accounts for 11% of group revenue, there was also growth across all markets, with net sales rising 23% to £868 million and operating profits growing 85% to £176 million. In Latin America and the Caribbean, which account for 11% of group revenue, sales raised 45% to £819 million, with double-digit growth in all markets. And again, there were higher premium brand sales, which more than offset higher marketing spend and cost inflation. Operating profits were up 69% to £333 million. As of the end of December, free cash flow came in at £1.6 billion, down from £1.8 billion the previous year, with more capital expenditure. Net debt stands at £12.1 billion, which equates to approximately 2.5 times underlying cash profits, which is down from £12.5 billion a year ago. In terms of valuation, Diageo has a market cap of just under £87 billion and trades at roughly 25 times earnings compared with a 10-year average of 20.5 times earnings. It currently yields just over 2%, but management have announced an interim dividend of 29.36 pence per share, which is a 5% increase. Diageo have said that they expect organic net sales growth to continue for the second half, with organic operating profit to grow at a faster rate. And the shares were up 2.5% on the day. We've covered Diageo many times on the show before, and it's a company I really like. It's one of the core companies in my portfolio. And I think it's probably one of the highest quality companies in the FTSE 100 with a range of fantastic brands from Captain Morgan, Smirnoff Vodka, and they have far better margins with their premium spirits than any traditional brewer could dream of. I think at a valuation of 25 times earnings, it is expensive. But if you do compare it with American peers like Brown Foreman, which trade in the high 30s, it does make it seem a little bit more reasonable. But I think with quality like this, it's difficult to come across it cheaply. Sam, what do you think? I agree. I think for a quality business, especially in this environment, you've just got to pay up. But I mean, these results are just fantastic as well. I like, would had a look at the, if you go back through like the past however many years figures, I'm just sorry, like the operating profit is still down from, so last year, the year to 30 June 2021, the operating profit was down from 2019 but it was only by about what is it like eight nine percent so they'd operating profit of 3.7 billion and that compares to 4 billion pre-pandemic so when you look at the amounts these are up it's it's up against tough comps it maybe needs to get operating profit up like just over 10 percent to get back to pre-pandemic and then if you go through it by segment it's up six percent in north america 43 percent europe 17 percent asia 20 what is it 85% Africa and 69% in Latin America and Caribbean. It's just absolutely smashed it. So it's it's not going to be cheap. And no. it's a shame because it is such a good business. I could not, I, I don't think I could pay 25 times earnings for it, but I could see why someone else would. Did you see as well, because you mentioned that was it tequila done well. Have you seen the Rocks tequila brand? I haven't. What's so that? He's, he's got his own brand called Terramana. He only launched it last year. And I saw it, he did a post on Instagram the other day. But he said that in its first year, it sold 600,000, I don't know if it's bottles or cases, but 600,000, which was tequila was insane. But he said that when George Clooney's uh, Casamigos tequila 
was bought by Diageo. I can't remember exactly what they paid. It was between like one and two billion. That was only selling like 180,000 cases. So it's, I'd be interested to follow that because it wouldn't surprise me if in a couple of years' time you see Diageo picking up that from The Rock because it's probably worth right. billions because it, it, it must be taking market share from them. Yeah, yeah. Or it could be Brown Foreman going for it. It could be, yeah. But I, I, if it carries on like that, it's, if you look at what happened to Clooney's one, I'd, I'd expect one of them's going to buy it. But yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Okay. On to, continuing the drinks theme. So Diageo, the mixer. Well, we've got two mixers coming up. But Britvic. Yes, Britvic. So for anyone who doesn't know Britvic, you'll almost certainly know the brands. I won't go through them because we've been through them before, but they've got the Pepsi license in the UK. So they've got all the Pepsi brands and then they've got lots of other ones like J2O and Rockstar and Robinsons and stuff like that. So Britvic have come out with a Q1 trading statement. And so in the first quarter, total revenue increased 16.5% to 373.9 million on a constant currency basis. And that was up 12.8% on the same period from the 2020 financial year, which was the last quarter before the pandemic. The Great Britain segment led the growth, delivering revenue growth of 17.1%, with the at-home channel continuing to grow and out-of-home recovering in line with expectations in October and November. Out-of-home trading in December was impacted by changes in consumer behaviour and a downturn in socialising in Great Britain and Ireland due to the Omicron COVID-19 variant. With the announcement last week of the easing of restrictions across the UK and Ireland, they anticipate the out-of-home channel will continue its recovery back towards 2019 levels. Brazil and other international markets grew revenue by 8.7 and 17.9% respectively. And they've said that they're experiencing inflationary pressures across the business and they remain focused on minimising the impact on the business through a combination of revenue management, smart procurement and disciplined price control. And CEO Simon Litherland has said, we've continued to see strong demand for our portfolio of trusted family favourite brands across all the channels and markets, helping us deliver strong year-on-year growth of 16.5% in the first quarter. We remain confident in our growth strategy, backed not only by our market-leading brands and our highly engaged employees, but also by our proven track record of successfully navigating headwinds. While we continue to experience inflationary pressures, our focus remains on minimising the impact on our business, and I'm confident we will continue to make progress this year and deliver strong returns for our shareholders. If you look at the revenue growth, the revenue in the last financial year was 1.4 billion, and that compared to pre-pandemic revenue of 1.545 billion. I think it's quite interesting because the growth rate they're currently on, of what was it, 16.5% is so high, and that is, up against, and I guess that's up 12 point. But it, it's up to a level where they actually going to, they should surpass, if they can maintain it for the full year, they should put, surpass the pre-pandemic figures by quite a bit. And I think it's interesting as well in this statement, they've talked about the turnover. They've mentioned the inflationary pressures and what they're doing about them, but they haven't told us what they expect to happen to the profit, which mm. suggests me to me that the, re- the profit will not increase in line with the revenue because I don't see why they wouldn't include that so they couldn't sing and dance about it otherwise. <laughs> mm. um, 
In terms of the valuation, it's currently trading at a PE ratio of 19.5, has a market cap of 2.37 billion and a dividend yield of 2.73%. I think it's not cheap, but it's a quality business with some quality brands. And it's also got with the Brazil and the, some of the other markets are in, I think it does have that potential for growth in some of those other markets as well. So I think a PE of 19 and a half could be justified for a business of this quality. What do you think, John? I would tend to agree with you. I think, yeah, for exactly the same reasons. Um, and I think the prospects with some of the brands that they have in Brazil is exciting. And probably because I suppose with a company like Britvic, what else would you be looking at? Well, Diageo, maybe a little bit more expensive. I think better. Well, yeah, we don't like that, though. Um, <laughs> you said, what else would you be uh, looking at? So I thought I'd throw it in the No, mix. well, I was, I, was, I, was going to, I was going to, I was going to, I was going to, uh, yeah, I was going to say Unilever might be up there. And yeah, I guess it probably has, it's a bit more expensive, but does have better growth prospects at the moment, certainly compared with some of those other brands. If you wanted a UK listed pure play on like soft drinks or bottled drinks, you are looking would, at Britvic or AG Bar. And it would, oh, I mean, undoubtedly between those two would be Britvic. Um, yeah, I agree. Should I see what AG Bar's trading at? I know it doesn't matter. Yeah, please. It's not as good a business, but. It's lost Rockstar too. too it has. And that was about 7%, 7 to 9%, I'm guessing, of AG Bar's revenues. Um, I'd say guessing um, from what I remember. It says AG Bar's at a PE of 22. This is just from Hargreaves Landstown. It's saying AG Bar is a PE of 22. Hmm. That doesn't that sounds too high? I mean, it's just, I mean, there's there's quite a jump between the, the diluted and the adjusted, so that could have something to do with it if it's pulling through the adjusted. But I would definitely not be paying twenty two for AG Bar if I could have Britvic for nineteen. No, no. Well, it says here AG think... Bar recently bought sixty percent of a porridge and oat milk brand, Moma. Would that change your view if you knew that they were? Oh, so. MoMA sells jumbo oats and is now the UK's third largest oat milk brand. Does that change your view? Um, I, don't, I must admit, I don't know very much about oat milk in the UK. I mean, I imagine it's a growth trend with, you know, you, most coffee shops now serving it. But yeah, I, I, I couldn't comment on it. I don't know how much they paid for it, but maybe, maybe it'll be the deal, the deal that pulls it ahead. <laughs> well, actually it says it's, not, um, it's not expected to have a material impact in profits for the current year. I imagine okay. it'd be quite a while before it was a material impact, to be honest. Mm. I mean, how big was that? Is that market actually going to get? I struggle yeah. to see a scenario where like most people are choosing oat milk <laughs> instead of cow milk. <laughs> and also, Fine. one thing I don't get: why is it called oat milk? Because you wouldn't call orange juice orange milk. And if you've just squeezed an oat, to me, it should be <laughs> okay. oat juice. But that's okay. my pet peeve. Okay. Well, maybe that's why it better fits into AG Bar's portfolio. Fine. Okay. So would you add, would it be one for the watch list, do you think? It would be, actually. I do like yeah. it a lot. I, yeah. I would, yeah. I would, I don't know if, I mean, I, I'd put it in, I don't know the same bracket, but a similar bracket sort of Unilever and Diageo. I think there's some very, very high quality brands in there. Mm. But would you pay a bit more for Diageo? Hmm. If it were it, between the two. Yeah, that's a tough one. I'd probably, oh, I don't know, because the, the Agio numbers are so good. And if yeah. you can maintain that, then you, it's worth paying up for. I'd probably go with a safer bet in Britvic because I think okay. you're, still, you're still potentially going to get the growth from Brazil and the other international markets. So I, I think I would be going with Britvic. 
but that's mainly valuation. But if if you could get either of them for twenty times earnings, it would be Diageo every time. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Would you be Diageo? I mean, I own Diageo, but probably yes, I probably would. I know it's expensive, but I probably would just pay up for it. That would be yeah. And then just it's one of those stocks that you can you know set it for the dividend to be reinvested and forget about it. Okay, so next company was well, a bit more of a growth story still it's, it's fever not set and forget is it so, uh, no 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 it definitely isn't so it's the aim listed uh, tonic maker uh, that had their full year trading update out this week with full year revenue up 26% to 311.1 million pounds ignoring the effect of exchange rates with growth across all markets Supermarket sales remained ahead of pre-pandemic levels, whilst on-trade sales returned to most markets in the second half. In the UK, revenue was up 15% to £118.3 million, which was ahead of market expectations, and on-trade sales were up 59%, and uh, market share increased. Supermarket sales were similar to last year, but 20% ahead of pre-pandemic levels. And interestingly, in the US, sales were up 41% to £77.9 million, and Fever Tree opened its second production site in December, and off-trade sales were ahead of 2020 levels. In Europe, sales were up 40% to £88.2 million, with the tourist season helping to boost on-trade sales. In the rest of the world, sales grew 6% to £26.7 million, with Australia and Canada driving sales. Revenue for 2022 is expected to be between 355 and 365 million pounds, with an EBITDA of between 69 and 72 million pounds. Looking forward, the group said it's clear that cost headwinds in 2022 will be more significant than we anticipated. And whilst we're employing a range of mitigating actions, margins are expected to remain broadly flat in 2022 and the shares fell 6.6% on the news. I mean, we've been talking a lot about valuation, but Fever Tree shares certainly aren't cheap, and the group currently has a market cap of around £2.5 billion listed on the AIM and trades at 50 times earnings, which is actually in line with its listing, or broadly in line with its listing since in 2014, about 47 I mean, I thought these, again, were very impressive results and the progress in the US is really encouraging. It'd be nice to see a bit more progress on the margins, but the main issue with it is, is the price. I mean, 50 times earnings, it's twice what Diageo is. I mean, I guess that comes down a lot if the growth continues at that rate and at that rate, particularly in the US, because if they can really crack the US market, then maybe, maybe it's not that expensive. But I think you'd be in for a bumpy ride. Sam, what do you think? I, I pretty much agree with you. I thought the numbers were fantastic. I thought the US was really, really good. Like you said, I think 41% is very encouraging because they are, I mean, you can see it in the figures in the UK, it's slowing. I think it's starting to get, it is the dominant brand, but it's starting to get to saturation point. Whereas if you look in the US, not only is it still got a lot of growth, but also I think, who was it? It was it was twenties trader. He said in his interview he thinks that in the America in America they do like their premium brands and there's not really a premium tonic. So if, if Fever Tree were able to go and do what they've done in the UK and the US, they could not only take increased market share but potentially increase the market size, the size of the market a lot as well. Mm-hmm. 
And if they can do that, then it's it's very cheap. But you've got to think that's going to happen because if, if for whatever reason it doesn't work out for them in the US or they end up pulling out, it's got a long way to go because I, I think the growth, I know it's got the rest of the world, which is all, also impressive. And Europe was impressive as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess, yeah, so maybe maybe you could still make an argument but in the the growth's not going to be coming from the uk i I think it's yeah i can see why you'd pay up for it actually whereas you know i mean in fairness i think the last couple of times we covered it we said the same thing whereas the first first couple of times we covered it i think we struggled to get our head around the valuation a bit but it is delivering yeah it's delivering i think that that is what we're seeing you know every time you come back to it and you see yeah Yeah. particularly the us now it's got the second you know the second side opened and it's yeah yeah (laughs) i I like it more and more but i wouldn't say i mean it's difficult if what's happened happened to boohoo in the last few months was to happen to fever tree yes i would be taking a serious look but yeah i mean I mean, if it were, at it's got to get cut in half, and it's yeah, still yeah, be, that's it. That's it. It's, it's got to get yeah. cut in half before I start to look at it. That's the problem, yeah. especially as well because it is. This isn't some. It's not some software company where it's going to have these mass, these fat margins forever, mm. or not forever, but these mm. fat margins where it's. This this is a company. That it's. I think if you're a premium brand, you can get the good margins, and Diageo shows that. Mm. But if they can't get the margins, the growth might not be enough, and it it's it's more of a I, I wouldn't i just wouldn't be willing to pay 50 times earnings for a business that well it, it does have significant costs that being said it's interesting that the shares were down 6.6 percent as well because i can see it is so expensive that if there's any little hiccup i can see why the share price you know it's going to be a volatile reaction yeah and it actually finished today down eight and a half percent yeah, um, so that was just in the early part of the day. So it finished down eight and a half percent. But I think if I was a long-term shareholder reading this, I wouldn't be too concerned about the cost inflation because they can either pass it on or swallow it up and then pass it on later on when they are the premium brand in all these markets. I think I think really you are you are paying for the growth, and I don't think it, the cost inflation really affects the business that much because they're, they're paying a fairly decent dividend for what for what it is and where it and a point eight of a percent considering it's still in growth mode, they could always cut that dividend if they needed cash. Yeah, yeah. I like it, but I wouldn't pay off. Yeah, agreed on that. Okay, so on to our next company. Yes, so Doc Martens, who, as I'm sure most people know, they make the trendy boots, have come out with a Q3 trading statement. And they've announced that revenue was up 11% for the year. And that was up 15% in constant currencies and up 21% compared to the figures from two years ago, so pre-pandemic. In terms of revenue by channel, e-commerce was up 16% for the year and 85% compared to two years ago. Retail was up 72% for the year and 16% compared to two years ago. Wholesale was down 14% for the year, down 10% for two years ago. That's not particularly surprising as I think they're moving to more of a direct-to-consumer business model, so you would expect that to continue to decline. And they've said that Q3, which is the the quarter that this trading statement's for, is typically the strongest direct-to-consumer period. We delivered direct-to-consumer revenue growth of 33%, which was up 50% um, from two years ago. E-commerce grew strongly in addition to a very good recovery of retail, resulting in improved direct-to-consumer mix 
up, up to 64%. As planned, the prioritization of inventory into direct consumer due to the impact of COVID on manufacturing and global shipping led to the lower performance of wholesale. By region, emerging markets, Europe and Africa recorded strong growth and the Americas delivered a solid Q3 with very good direct consumer performance, which is partially offset by wholesale. APAC, that's going to be Asia Pacific. Don't know what the AC is. The C could be China. Anyway, were impacted by renewed COVID restrictions across the region. In terms of the regional performance, we said emerging markets, uh, Europe and Africa were strong with revenue up 40%. This was driven by solid e-commerce growth and recovery of retail together with good wholesaler performance. We saw ex excellent revenue growth in Italy following conversion to a directly operating model earlier in the financial year in line with the trend seen in Germany in its first year of conversation. In the Americas, we achieved very good direct consumer performance, which was partially offset by the expected impact on wholesale from global shipping delays, which resulted in the Americas revenue being up 4%. Australia Pacific and AC, which I'm gonna assume is and China, revenues were most impacted by COVID with revenue declining by 28%. We saw particular weakness in our distributor markets where third-party stores were impacted by renewed restrictions, most notably in Australia and China. Ah, so I'm probably right. In terms of the outlook, they said we had a very good direct-to-consumer trading peak with February and March now being our quieter trading months. We remain confident in achieving market expectations for our first full year as a listed business, subject to no significant COVID impact in Q4. So they've not been listed very long, which makes it quite difficult to judge them. They've got two years of results available this is just in the financials on the h on the hargreaves lansdowne page but from 2020 to 2021 revenue increased from 672 to 773 million an operating profit fell from 142 to 112 million they've got an investment case on the website because one of the things i'm struggling with is why would you want to own it I, I guess you could maybe take the view maybe it's going to be a bit like a burberry where it's going to go international i know it's quite international anyway but that's where all the growth is going to come from but yeah, they've, they've listed their investment case on the website and they think their competitive strengths are their icon iconic brand and iconic products. I would, I would agree with that, certainly in the UK. I don't know how it translates globally. Their appeal to a broad global consumer base, their direct consumer-led model enabling Dr. Martins to control its own destiny, infrastructure built to sale, track record of sustainable and profitable growth. And in that they said our successful strategies led to profits growing at a faster rate than sales in recent years. Increasing the proportion of revenue coming from our direct consumer channels is beneficial to margins and enables us to directly control the consumer relationships. Dr. Martins has shown broad-based growth across all channels and geographies. In the period from 2017 to 2021, e-commerce, wholesale and retail channel revenues grew at a compound annual growth rate of 49%, 5% and 20% respectively. While the Americas, emerging markets, Europe and Africa and Australia, Pacific and China regions grew revenue at a compound annual growth rate of 24, 23% and 15% respectively. The business also has strong cash flow, version, reflecting capital efficient growth model. And they've also highlighted the experienced leadership team. I mean, those compound annual growth rates are very good if you can sustain them, but I struggle to know how big it can get is the thing. So in terms of the reaction, the shares were down 9% on this announcement and it's basically had no profits last year so Hargreaves is showing a P of 2,693 which is not really helpful 
if you were take, to take the normalised figures, which I've assumed are the figures to 31 March 2020 in terms of earnings, you would get a normalised P of 39 if you use the diluted earnings per share or 34 if you use the adjusted earnings per share. I think it seems quite pricey. And part of the reason is I just struggle to see how, how big it can get. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would tend to agree with you on that. And it's, I think of it as more of a narrow brand. And I don't know how you grow that out further than just what it sort of, I suppose, essentially what its product is as a boot. Yeah. and then, But then I guess what I would say is, obviously, all three of the geographies, the minimum mm. compound annual growth rate between 2017 and 2021 was 15%. And two of them were 24 and 23. So yeah. if you can keep those numbers up, it probably is worth paying a P of 34, but I just find it too difficult to be able to look at it and say, well, this is what I think they'll sell, be selling in five years' time, and this is mm-hmm. why it just it's just complete guesswork. That's the problem with it for me. Um, yeah. So what are your yes. thoughts on the results and the company? I mean, good results, but pretty much the same. And I, I, it's, I suppose it's, it's not a brand that I particularly like, so it's not... Uh, I struggle to buy into it, really, <laughs> for that reason, but... It'd be interesting to follow anyway and see which direction it goes. I mean, I think it's it's good. It's good. Like a lot of the other brands, it's going down the direct consumer, which is, you know, obviously much better for it. But yeah, I struggle. It's down about, I think it's like 26% since it first listed. Um, so it must have listed at a PE of like 50 or something. Yeah. Or normalized PE of like 50. But yeah. is it a business you'd ever take a look at? Like a serious look if it drops enough? Probably not. No, what it's about just, you? no, for me, if you look at what they're trying to do, the, the best comparison I can think of is maybe what Burberry have done. Yeah. And for me, I'd, I'd probably just be picking Burberry. That's, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't see it at that end, really, of the market. Uh, but, maybe yeah. Levi's, they're listed in the US. We looked at yeah. them a while ago, but they, I mean, they were quite expensive as well. Um, mm. Yeah, maybe Levi's is a bit, a bit of a better comparison. But yeah, it's it's not something I, I think, never again, take a I think Levi's has a much broader, well, I would have say a, a much broader appeal. I've managed to diversify yeah. from purely like whatever their 501, you know, jeans are. But yeah, yeah there's, there's nothing about the Doc Martens brand that really does anything for me. But I don't know if I'm the target market. <laughs> that's right. we're probably missing the point with it yeah um okay fine uh so u.s company of the week we've got microsoft and they have their second quarter results out this week with second quarter revenue up 20 percent to 51.7 billion dollars with growth across the whole business operating profit came in 24 percent higher at 22.2 billion dollars despite research and development spending being 17 and a half percent higher In the productivity and business processes division, revenue was up 19% to $15.9 billion with strong performances from Office 365 and LinkedIn. Operating profit rose from $6.2 billion to $7.7 billion. In the intelligent cloud division, revenue was up 26% to $18.3 billion with Azure and cloud services growing 46%. The division's operating profit came in at $8.2 billion, which was 26% higher. And the more personal computing business had increased search and news advertising revenue and an overall revenue growth 
of 15%, which came in at $17.5 billion, and operating profits rose from $5.2 to $6.4 billion. Microsoft also returned $10.9 billion to shareholders in the form of share repurchases and dividends. And as discussed on the previous episode, the acquisition of Activision Blizzard is on the cards, and that will allow Microsoft to expand its gaming enterprise. In terms of valuation, Microsoft has a market cap of just over $2.25 trillion and trades at just under 29 times earnings. And that's ahead of its 10-year average of around 20. I mean, Microsoft is a company, probably the highest quality um, in the world, well, one of the highest quality uh, companies in the world and extremely cash generative. And it still manages numbers like this, um, which is... I mean, it's it, remarkable, really, for the size of the business. I don't own it directly, but most of my money is in a world ETF, and Microsoft makes up a, is one of the top holdings within it, and I'm very glad that it is. Sam, what do you think of Microsoft and th- these numbers? They're just insane, aren't they? It's just absolutely... It's ridiculous. It's gen- mm. I mean, it's got net cash at 31 December of $72 billion. Mm. That's more than what they're paying for Activision Blizzard. They could yeah. pay that entirely with cash. It's insane. Mm. It's just, I mean, the numbers for the size of the business are just, the growth shouldn't really be possible. And if you wind back, actually it's not even 100 years, but if you wind back 110, 120 years, and you look at, if you look at Standard Oil or US Steel, mm. they couldn't have put up numbers like this. These, yeah. This is just, we've never, in the history of like, well, I guess in the history of like, listed stock we've never seen businesses like these at this size it's it's actually it's absolutely mind-boggling i think the valuation uh 29 times earnings i mean if it, if it keep a few more years of numbers like this and that soon comes down but my issue is with it at some point the law of large numbers has to start kicking in you can't keep mm. growing 20 percent a year from a two and a half trillion dollar base in perpetuity and knowing mm. when that's going to start kicking in it's just so difficult that I think I would not, I wouldn't want to, as much as, as great as the business is, and it could well go on and carry on putting up these numbers, because I wouldn't have thought it would get to the size it is now, but I probably wouldn't want to pay 29 times earnings for a business that's already two and a half trillion dollars. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would yeah, feel the same, really. I have a bit more confidence when I'm just indexing and... Uh, mm buying the world market and then the fact that microsoft actually makes up you know a few percent of that or a couple of percent of that you know makes me more comfortable about it and Mm. i suppose the same would go for a lot of the other big tech companies like amazon um yeah google facebook yeah exactly yeah exactly but it wouldn't surprise me if in five years time i was completely wrong it yeah, well, this is it I, i mean this this is it when a lot of these big you know the 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 fang stocks when some of them like Apple was hitting a trillion, you know, well, can it ever hit a trillion? Oh, it's hit a trillion. And then, you know, Microsoft now is more than double that. And yeah. who would have thought? I think it'll age us, the fact that we'll actually, in like 30 or 40 years, we'll be able to tell people we remember the first trillion dollar company. Yeah. It now you thought it was, well, because we're already a, at two and a half, three trillion. Yeah. I think yeah, it's a like hundred trillion dollar business in our lifetimes. Yeah. But it is, you know, crazy to think and I suppose you should be looking at the fundamentals really and trying not to just 
you know see it see the market cap and and I, I, I know that's not what you're saying but like how far it how far well, it can go i think for me it's like I, I i'd always want to be able to picture like how big i think the business can get mm. the problem is when when you've got to a business that's this big you are almost in no man's land no the answer is no one knows because this has never happened before yeah. it could be that it gets to 10 or 20 trillion <laughs> like we, we don't know because we've never seen businesses like these of these size before but i don't know if i was to look at like the fang stocks if i compare it to like a facebook where facebook i don't think they've even hit a trillion dollars yet it's still going at, it's still growing at like 40 percent a year or what is it 20 to 40 percent a year or something silly if you look at the products and how many people need it the brands it's got and how many years google has already shown it can keep growing from a very high base I wouldn't have an issue buying Facebook at like 24 times earnings or whatever it's at. Whereas with Microsoft, I think it's a little bit more difficult. So there are mm. some of the FANG stocks where I would, I would actually consider them. Like Facebook, I would actively consider right now. But mm. Microsoft, I just wouldn't because it's just too much of an unknown, I think. Whereas with Facebook, it's like, well, I don't know how much bigger it can get, but I think it can get a lot bigger than where it is if you look at what yeah. Google's been able to do. You wouldn't bet against it, though. Oh, no, I definitely won't be sure <laughs> on it. <laughs> Okay, good. So of the companies this week, what would you go for? Oh, it's quite a good week this week, actually. It's, um, yeah, it is, it is. I'd probably be going with Britpick, I think. Okay, okay. Oh, we're different this week. I would go for Diageo. Um, and I think... What, what would you say? Oh, it's difficult. I'd probably, I probably would go for Britpick and then I'd go for Microsoft, maybe my top three. I'd go for Fever Tree before Microsoft, I think. Okay. I'm going to pay 29 times for Microsoft, so I may as well pay 50 for Fever Tree. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. But uh, no, I like Diageo, and I think at the the current valuation, yes, it it is high, but it's such good quality business. And if we're talking about growth, I mean, I think I can see Diageo getting a lot bigger. Well, they've only got, um, I think this was from the last earnings, maybe, but... I think they've only got four percent market share of like the yeah. beverage market. And like, I don't know if that's alcoholic or just beverage market, but I think they said they wanted to get to six in the next few years, and that's not a ridiculous target to go from four percent market share to six. And when you look at that, that's fifty percent growth. And if you look at the numbers they're putting up, they could hit it. Great. Well, thank you again for listening, and we'll see you again next time. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.